I'm back to Luke chapter 15, uh, and I'll ask you to turn there if you would. But before we go there, go back to the book of 2 Kings uh, chapter number 6, 2 Kings chapter 6, and uh, compare a couple of verses with, uh, uh, with the lesson today. Uh, I'm going to be kind of all over uh, here in just a little bit, trying to lock into uh, this last part of the parable that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke. Uh, in Luke chapter 15, we find that there were, uh, there's an interesting setting. The Lord Jesus Christ is, is, is eating with sinners and publicans. Now, the sinner, sinners were people that, man, they were the outcasts. People didn't want to be around them. Uh, they did things that no one else would do, and they, they, they ate things, and they, they, they smoked things, whatever. They just didn't want to be around them. Then you have the publicans, which were also uh, pretty much despised. The they worked for the Roman government. Uh, they were extracting taxes from the Jewish people, and so they were also rejected. And so, hi, hi Ethan, I, I thought I heard your voice over there uh, singing out. I said, who is that? All right, so... Uh, so we had the, the publicans and sinners that were there, and they were just being, for the most part, rejected by the establishment, so to speak, the scribes and the Pharisees. So in, cha- in chapter 15 of Luke, the next verse, it says that uh, in verse number 2, it says that the scribes and Pharisees murmured because he was eating with the publicans and sinners. So then in verse 3, he speaks this parable unto them. The parable is broke up into three different stories, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost piece of silver, and then the parable of the lost son. Now, what we typically do when we deal with Luke 15, we don't deal with the second son because there's two sons in the story in the last part of this, of, of this parable. You have the son that left and went to the far country. He wasted uh, his life, his substance with riotous living. Uh, he lived it up till he came to himself. He gets to the hog pen, realized what he did, he came to himself, he said to himself, I will, I will go to my father, I will rise to my father and say unto my father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and no more worthy to be called thy son, make me as one of the hired servants. And so when he does that, he returns to go back, the father sees him, has compassion and runs and kisses him and then he rehearses part of, the, uh, of his planned repentance and the, and the father stops him and then restores him, puts a robe on him, puts shoes on his feet, ring on his hand, and then they make Mary uh, back at the house. Looking, uh, look at the, the last part, is that the Lord Jesus Christ is very excited about finding people. He's always looking for people. But people can get themselves in a real mess. People can get themselves in a place where they're doing things that they normally would not do. Now, I want to say something very interesting. I heard this uh, last Sunday uh, in the 9 o'clock hour, the missionary brought some of this material. I said, wow, that is a ph- phenomenal comparison of the condition of the world today and where we're at. Look at Lu- if you look in uh, 2 Kings chapter number 6, this is an interesting story. Again, Old Testament. Samaria is, re- is, is surrounded by uh, Ben-Hadid. He's the king of Syria. And uh, when you look at what the Syrians did uh, to those that they captured, they would be... Uh, the ancient day, they would be like ISIS. They would ma- many times behead those that uh, they conquered. They would put the heads on those that conquered on staves, and they would march around the the area with uh, uh, with the corpses of those that they defeated. So that's a pretty dangerous situation for Samaria. The t- city of Samaria is basically besieged. No one's coming in. No one's leaving. And when you have a besieging 
you have a, a, uh, a, a, a problem with food. There's no food coming in. So whatever food was inside the city is, is all long gone here by the time we get to what is going to take place in the story. Uh, and some of these stories in the Bible, uh, you know, you'd say, man, that's pretty gruesome. And that's one thing about the Bible. It gives you the cold, hard fact. It is absolutely true. It pulls no punches with us. And it doesn't pad anything. And look here in the story, uh, and I'm going to compare this with Amos in just a little bit. But watch this uh, in uh, Samaria. And verse 26, and as the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord do not help thee, when shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor or out of the wine press? What do you want me to do, woman? I can't help you. That's what he's saying. And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, and this woman said unto me, Give thy son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, Give thy son that we may eat him. And she hath hid her son. Now, how many understand? That's a horrible story right there. Go back, if you would, to verse number 24. And it came to pass after that Ben-Hadon, king of Syria, gathered all his host and went up and besieged Samaria. Now, watch this. There was a great famine in Samaria. Behold, uh, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver, and the fourth port of a cab of dung, dove's dung was five pieces of silver. So it got so bad that they were actually using a high amount of silver to buy a, a donkey's head to eat it. Okay? Now, I don't know how much meat you get off a donkey's head, but, you know, you got the eyes, the brain, maybe some muscles, maybe the bone, whatever it was that they were eating but it was selling for pretty good money. The next part where they were selling dove's dung. Okay. And they were, I don't know how they were chipping it off and, and, and making a soup out of it. I don't know how they were doing that, but some of you are saying, Oh, and you should be say that's just, I can't believe they would. Some of you are almost trying to put a little water in that thing. And you know, it sounds like my wife's cooking. No, I mean, uh, uh, but they ate it, okay? They ate it. Now, think about this. The missionary put a good point out last week. When there is a famine, you will do things in a famine that you would not normally do any time, any, any other time. Like, it was disgusting. I can't believe they eat, eat, a, eat a donkey's head. That's absolutely disgusting. The brains and the eyeballs, I just, how they do that? And to us, we're not hungry. But when there's a famine, you will do things that are, that are not really normal. You all with me? You would also do things that would be not even natural. I mean, what, what, what's coming out of the back end of a dove is not for me right now food. You all with me? Now, I'm not interested in it. But in a famine, you could do things that is, this is simply not natural to do. You would, you would eat things that you would not normally eat. And then it could get so bad in a famine that you would do things that are absolutely wrong and forbidden to do. And that would be to eat another person. 
Are you all with me? Now look in Amos real quick. Amos chapter number 8. Amos 8. How does that tie into what this story here? It ties right in. Look what it says here. Behold, verse 11. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God. Amos, oh, I'm sorry, there's, there's a small little book there. You'll pass right by it. So I'll leave you, I hear some pages turning. I haven't been to Amos in years. Okay. It's there in the Bible still, Amos chapter 8. Y'all there? If you're not there, just look like you found it. Okay. No, Amos chapter 8, verse 11. Amos, by the way, is a little herdsman from, uh, from Tekoa. He comes up into Jerusalem. And by the way, in my devotions last night with the boys, um, there was a very interesting point uh, in, uh, that was given that when, when Israel was living pretty much in luxury, I mean, they had a pretty good life in Jerusalem, a lot of prosperity, a lot of food, and, uh, and things were just going, for the most part, pretty good in the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had already been destroyed. The northern kingdom was, the, was destroyed by Amos's day. You'll find that that was pretty much taken by the Assyrians. They, were, uh, they, were con- they conquered that. They besieged it. Okay? They uh, intermarried their people with the Jewish people in the northern kingdom, the ten tribes that went to the north. And some of you Bible students understand all this. They became the uh, Samaritans later. That's why the Jews had no dealings with them because they were, for the most part, half-breeds to the Jewish people in the southern kingdom. The two tribes stayed in the south. But so Jerusalem at this point in, in Amos's day is doing pretty good. I mean, I mean, we're pretty safe, got the temple. But a good point was made uh, in our devotions last night is that 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 Isaiah and Jonah were a contemporary prophets during this time. And, and, and Jonah, remember, went to Assyria to preach that judgment was going to come. And Assyrian Empire, Nineveh, they get right. I mean, the king gets right. People get saved. There's a revival in the northern, in Syria. So if you're in the southern kingdom, it's like, it's like, man, man, they're getting saved. They're believing now our God. So they're at ease now even more. Are y'all with me? So not only in Jerusalem was it pretty good in prosperity, but now they have a little bit more safety, so to speak, because at least Assyria is now believing our God. Very good point, right? But look at verse number 11. This existed in this time, which I think many times it can be laid right into our culture today. Verse 11, behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the what? In the land. Now it says here, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water. Now, that's the famine we were just talking about there in 2 Kings chapter 6. The famine that's going to be sent here in verse number 11 of Amos chapter 8 is this, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Now, how many, understand this. We do not, note here, this is a famine of hearing the words of the Lord, not preaching the words of the Lord. Now, listen, today in America, there's not a famine in preaching the word of God. You can go to you can radio station, go online, you can hear the word of God. The problem in America today is not the preaching of the word of God, although there is watered down preaching. But if you want truth, you can find it. That's not the problem. The problem today, I believe, is a hearing of the word of God. 
where people don't want to hear the word of God. It's a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. Y'all with me this morning? So, so the point is, when, when there is a physical famine, you'll do things that you would not normally do. Okay? Eating a dung, uh, eating a, 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 an ass's head. You will do things that are not natural. Eating dung from a dove. And you will do things that are absolutely wrong, like eating another hurt person. When there's a famine in the word of God, of hearing the word of God, you will do things, a culture will do things that is not normal. A culture will do things that is not natural, and a culture will do things that is downright wrong. This Netflix cuties are y'all with me this morning that just released the, their first couple of episodes is absolutely filthy. It's wrong. I did not watch it. I've watched commentaries on it. But this is a new low for America. This is a new low for the morals of our country. Because now we're promoting pedophilia. Are y'all with me? We're doing things that have, we've already done things that are not normal. Our country has not been normal for a while. Our churches have not been normal for a while. The country has gone to a place where it's doing things that are not, not natural. But now we're in a place where we're doing things that are absolutely wrong, evil. And so please don't be surprised when we see more, if you would, more wrong and more wrong done. Why is that? Because there's no hearing of the word of God today. There's a famine today of hearing the word of God. You could preach on anything. You could could talk about sports all day long. You could talk about politics all day long. But don't start preaching God's word. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear the absolute authority of God's word. God sends that to a country. Are you all here? Now hold that. Kind of fold that into your mind. Go to Luke chapter 15 because it will make sense. Luke chapter 15. It should not surprise us that the younger son in Luke chapter 15 did what he did. As I mentioned two weeks ago, that when the younger son came to his father, he was treating his father as if the father were dead. We compared that to Deuteronomy chapter 21, where the inheritance would be given at the death of the father. He requests his inheritance from the father while the father was still alive. So the younger son says, I don't care if you're alive or dead. I hope you're, I'm just, I'm treating you as if you're dead. Give me the portion of goods that fall to me. And the Bible says, interesting phrase here, he divided unto them his living. So both sons get, if you would, the inheritance divided. Compare that to Deuteronomy 21, verse 17, where the double portion goes to the older son. The one portion goes to the younger son. So the younger son says, man, got a pocket full of cash. No one's telling me what to do. No one's telling me how to get up, when to go to bed. I'm going to go have it up. I'm going to go live it up. So he does, and he lives it up, and he goes out, and the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. Don't even tell me. Man, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fun in sinning. It's a blast. But the end is a problem. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, 
But the end thereof are the ways of death. There, there, there is a problem with a culture that just wants to continue to live a life contrary to God's word and expect that there's not going to be any consequences. It's like the guy that's in the airplane, as I said two weeks ago, guys in the airplane, it's probably a thrilling ride when both engines go out. You can lose one wing and now you're at terminal velocity. The papers are kind of floating in the air. You know, your coffee is kind of sucking the coffee out of the air because you're just kind of, there's no gravity. You're going down. Are you all here? It's probably a great ride. Pale, any comparison, any, any Cedar Point ride. But you're going to crash. And that's where we're at. So he does. He crashes and he burns. He messes up. Famine comes into the land. He goes and he joins himself to a citizen of that country. We know it's a Gentile. It's not a Jew because there's pigs. He says, go to the pigs. No man gave unto him. This, this younger boy messed his life up in a royal way. He has nothing left. Now he's coming back. The father sees him, has compassion, runs and kisses him. And now we have this last part of the story that really is the whole reason why all three parts of this parable is given. I mean, when you look at the parable of the lost sheep, you got one in a hundred. Ninety-nine were okay. The one who's lost, let's go find him. Then you got the parable of the lost coin. There was one in ten. They're going to sweep the house. I'm going to get a candle. I'm going to find this coin. It's somewhere in here, and I got to find it. Then the parable of the lost son, you got one in two. 50%, I want to go, I'm going to find him. I'm going to wait for him. I'm, I'm praying for him. He's going to return. I'm going to restore him. And now you get this one-on-one. It's building to this person, this elder son. Look at verse 25, Luke 15. Now the elder son was in the field. This is after the son comes home. The, the younger son comes home. The elder, the older son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard the music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, thy brother is come and thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry. And would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And answering and said unto him, Lo, fa- Father, lo, these many years I have served thee, neither transgressed I at uh, uh, any uh, time at thy commandments, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might m- make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured his living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And here's what the father says. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad for this. Thy brother was dead and is alive and was lost and is found. You pray with me and for me. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come together. Thank you, Lord, for this story, how it places us in the story through this elder son. I pray you'd help us, Lord. Bless your people. Thank you for this Uh, opportunity to hear what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Two applications. We're dealing with the elder son. The primary message, of course, is 
we have two lost sons. One never left the home, but he was lost. And you might be religious. You might go to church. You might be a church member. You might be honest, but you might be lost today. The other application is that there are people that are saved. They, they, they have the Holy Spirit, but they have the same attitude that the elder brother had in this story when God saved sinners. Two applications. First, look in verse 25 with me. I want you to know that it's the elder son, verse 25. This is a position of authority. This son is not just uh, any uh, person. He's got the authority of the home. Now, he's got the, uh, the future of the home. Uh, in, in this story, it tells us that uh, he is the older son, so he's got double portion of all the goods. He's got a double portion of all the inheritance. And so the younger son already wasted his, so he's got two-thirds of the farm. He owns the farm. The only thing that has to happen, really, is for the father to die. And he not only inherits everything, but he also is the head of the family. Now, how, how safe do you think the younger son is now? Okay, so everything now belongs to this younger, this older son. Everything. And so he's got a position of authority. We also note here in verse number 25 that he was in the field. And so he's working. He's, he's responsible. I mean, he's doing the work. He's out there in the field. He's out there milking the goats, if you do those kind of things, and milking the cow and, and uh, milking the chickens and, and, uh, and, and so forth. And he's doing all those things that the farmers do. And somebody say, do they milk chickens? Yeah, okay. <laughs> so he's just kind of out there doing the work. He's in the field. He's out there plowing. He's out there harvesting. He's been working for the father. The father. And so at this point in the story, there's nothing really wrong with him. Man. He's just a good, respectable young man. He's just out there doing his work. He's in, uh, if you would, hardworking. Uh, he would be one that you would let your daughter marry. Uh, he was, he's a good provider. And, uh, and there are people here as you look at this, as a place of privilege. This is a privileged place to be. Now, remember who Jesus Christ is speaking to. He's speaking to the scribes. He's speaking to the Pharisees. The whole parable is given for them to understand that they did not know God. Y'all with me so far? And so they were privileged. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the religious entity of that day were very privileged. The Jewish nation was privileged. Hold that thought. Go to Romans chapter 3. Real quick, Romans chapter 3. How many full-blooded Jewish people do we have here today? All right. How many Gentiles do we have here? All right. That's not by accident. You are a Gentile. I don't know what I am. I think I'm an alien. No, a Gentile is someone that's not Jewish. So when I say you're a Gentile, I said 14 hands went up. Every one of us are Gentiles. So I'm trying to point out, okay? You are a Gentile if you're not a Jew, right? Now, Gentiles historically did not have, uh, we did not have a covenant with God. Back before the time of Christ, there was no covenant made with us. That came after Christ. Are you all with me today? But God entrusted the Jewish people, as you find here in Romans chapter 3, the question that Paul asked to the uh, Jews in Rome, what advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there in circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because, watch this, that unto them, that's the Jewish people, were committed the what? Oracles of God. 
Stay with me. An oracle is an answer. An oracle is a place where answers are given. That's an oracle. So the, the Jewish people had a high place of privilege. They were given the oracles of God. They were given answers. So the Gentiles would come to the Jewish people and say, who's God? Oh, we have that answer. Who's Jehovah God? Uh, we have that answer. How do we worship it? We have that answer. It's the oracles of God that were entrusted to the Jewish people. They were privileged. Y'all with me so far? One person, my wife. Okay. Thank you, Lynn. I appreciate that. So the point is this, is that there was privilege. The scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religion of the day, were a place of privilege. They were given oracles. They were given the oracles of God, the law of God. You can read Romans later and you'll find they were entrusted with the laws. They were entrusted with the tabernacle. They were entrusted with the worship of God. Gentiles were not. We were, we were worshiping the sky. We were worshiping moons. We were worshiping idols. You look at the origin of, 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 of Gentiles, man, we were, we were a mess. Our, our forefathers were eating each other. Our forefathers were sacrificing our babies. That's where Gentiles came from. The Jewish people were given the oracles of God, the law of God. Are you all here? They were privileged. That's why you'll find here in chapter 1 of Romans, you'll find, behold, thou art called a Jew and resteth in the law and makest thy boast of God. Here's what I'm trying to establish, that he is speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees about the elder son. This is, this is who you are. This is it. No, listen, this is a wonderful thing that God is doing. He is showing them their condition. That's a good thing. When you read the word of God, the word of God is reading you. That's why there's a famine for hearing the word of God, because we don't want to see what we are. <laughs> That's why one person, I'm not going to come to church. The church wall is going to fall down on me. As if God's got a way for you to get into the church to take you out. <laughs> are you all here? The point is this, is that, is that there is an idea that, man, uh, I... I I don't want to hear what God has to say because I don't like what God has to say. But ladies and gentlemen, it is a good thing for you to know what God says about you. That's how you get help. It's like the person has cancer and says, I don't want to hear that I have cancer. Well, it's operable. I know, but I still don't want to hear that I have cancer. But it, you could get this out. and uh, No, I don't want to hear it. That makes sense. So you find here... This has application for us today. The same thing in the church today is we have moral people that are inside the church. Okay, they're inside the Father's house. You may be honest. You may be paying your bills. You may even go to church. You, you don't drink. You don't cheat. You don't cuss. And you've been through the baptistry maybe a couple of times. Uh, you, uh, you've, been, you've been in the nursery. You've been through Sunday school. And, uh, and, and all around you has been this Christian community. But you're lost. You could be lost. I made this statement in the nine o'clock hour, and I made this. Listen to this. Go back to my notes. Probably one of the most horrifying, unexpecting scene in heaven is a conversation predicted in Matthew chapter seven. 
totally unexpected. Turn there quickly, if you would, Matthew chapter number 7. Oh, wow, verse 21. You might be good, you might be moral, you may be actually preaching. You might be called, uh, you never know. You mean, you're called by something. You may be concerned about the lost being saved. You might even be concerned about having wonderful works being done in God's name. All those are wonderful things. Do you realize out of the 12 disciples, you had one that was a devil? Judas. Do you realize in a church this size, we have people that are saved. They're born again. They're on the way to heaven. They're blood bought, man. They're on the way to heaven. If the Lord came back right now, they'd be out of here. But there are also those that are not saved. There are goats among the sheep. There are tares or weeds among the wheat. Are you all with me? That exists. And I can't, by the way, we're told not to tear up the weeds because you'll hurt the wheat. (laughs) First of all, I can't even, I don't even know who's saved, who's lost. That's why verse 20 says, wherefore, by their fruits, ye shall know them. You can know them by the fruits. Now, look at verse 21. This is where it gets really interesting. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. I preached this. I brought this lesson here to the, the men at the Bible study uh, oh, last couple years ago. And Brother Dan uh, came up to me and says, this message right here changed my life. When he heard it when he was a teenager, Matthew chapter 7. He says, I was one of these. That's what it says. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? What does that mean? They were preaching in his name. And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name have done many wonderful works. Then what I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I didn't make that up. I'm not reading into it. That's what the Bible says. There are people that are preaching in Jesus' name. They're doing wonderful works in the name of Jesus. They're maybe even casting out devils in his name. But one day they're going to get to heaven and the Lord's going to say, I don't even know who you are. Now, that is a horrifying, unexpected conversation that's going to take place in the future. But it happens there are people in church. There are people that come to church. They are like the older son. They're, they don't know the heart of God. They're keeping a track of everything they do for God because it's not about the Father. It's about them. About them. Look what he says. Look back at Luke chapter 15 quickly. Luke 15, and I'm trying to hurry here. Luke chapter 15, if you look here, uh, what happens, the story really unfolds. The further you get into this boy's life, the more you see his heart. And the further you get into the story, you find that God also has a heart for the older son too, which is awesome. Look at verse number 25. Now the elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the what? House. He heard music and dancing. So he's got the team of oxen behind him. He's got his hands all washed. He's coming and he's hearing something he hasn't heard. He's hearing music. He's hearing dancing. But they're probably... They're probably having a good old time inside that house. He's stopping at the front porch. I'm not going into this thing. What is going on? So he calls one of his servants. Hey, 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 come here. What's going on? What's the the celebration? Oh, man. He said, verse 27, thy brother has come. You didn't hear? (laughs) Your brother's come home, and, and, and the father, he's killed a fatted calf. The fatted calf is killed. 
Yeah. And he says here that he hath received him safe and sound. He is, he's having a party and it's great inside. Boy, things are happening in there. The father is happy that the son is home. The servants are happy that the father, the, the son is home. We're all happy that he's home. But then it says in verse number 28, and he was angry and would not go in. Wow. This is where it gets a little close to home, folks, to us. His response to God restoring a boy that was hurting, okay? A boy that was doing things that was not normal to do. A younger boy that was living a life that was not natural and probably doing things that were downright wrong. And the older son got angry and would not go in because he's restored. He had the wrong motives. Wrong motives. See, the bottom line is here is that the man, really, the older son, didn't really care about the fact that his son is now, his, his brother is safe and sound. He didn't care about that. He, he did not care about the fact that his father was pleased that the son was home. The, the, son, the older son did not care about the glory of the father. He wanted the glory that was due to him. He, he didn't care about the father. He did what was good for him to do. In fact, I know that because in verse 29, when he answers the father, he says these words. Now, listen to this. Have you ever heard someone say something that you're like, where did that come from? Yep. It revealed a lot of their heart. I mean, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, right? You want to know what you are? Start talking. <laughs> All right? If you, don't, if you don't want anyone to know who you are, don't say a word. Are you all here? Because in the heart comes out with words and reveals what's it. Okay, the old preacher said, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. Are you all here? So when you speak, you reveal. So this boy is about to say something that's going to reveal Deep problems in heart. Watch what he says in verse 29. Lo, these many years do I what? Now, if you stop right there and just think about the fact, first of all, that he's counting. It's been a long time. I've been serving you for many years. So he's keeping a log. <laughs> of all the time that I have to be here and work for you and serve you. And so the service for the father was not out of a love for the father, was not out of a dedication and appreciation for the father. No, this was servitude. Now, this is the average church today, ladies and gentlemen, where we have joyless mechanical obedience. Well, we're not enjoying the Lord. We're not enjoying his service. We're not enjoying anything about the work of the Lord. We're just going to church. We're just going through a mechanical, joyless obedience. That's why you can't sing today. That's why when we start singing Amazing Grace, you're humming and grumming, and you look like you ate three, four, five lemons before you came to church. Are you all here? You don't smile. You don't enjoy the Lord's work. Why? You're counting the days. I got to go to church. I got to go to Sunday school. I got to go work the nursery. I got to sing a special. I got to play the piano. Joyless obedience. Are you all here? 
And the same mentality that is in the heart of this older son is in the heart of churches today. People that come to church, they're critical of others. They're looking around. They're seeing who's not here. Not that they care to visit them, but they can just kind of talk about them. They keep track of what they do. They make sure everyone knows what they've done. They keep track of what they've given. They know what everyone else is not doing. This is an elder brother issue. They don't care about God's work being done in the church, especially if it runs counter to their personal agenda. They want the accolades. They want the pat on the back. But their service to the Lord is all about them. How do I know that? You never killed for me a fatted calf. Service with strings. I served in that church for the, no one ever said thank you. Thank you. (laughs) And so you either have, in churches that have people like this, you either have people that are lost, that are masquerading themselves as if they're saved, which, by the way, is an easy thing to do. Oh, man, never been saved. I mean, you got the tie on. You got your Bible, King James Bible, under your arm. You say brother and sister, but you've never been saved. You're you're a goat. You're not a sheep. You're a tare. You're not a wheat. The dangerous place to be, and it's a very deceiving place to be. Because the elder son, he's out there on the front porch. Fully justified. You're not going to change his mind. You are not going. He's dug in. I am not going into there. I can't believe you. You're even thinking about having a party for him. Could be that they're masquerading themselves as they're saved. Or or it could be someone that's just simply out of God's will. The songwriter said they lost the wonder of it all. They're no longer joyful about things of God. They're no longer joyful when people get saved. But here's a good question. Why are you here today? What motivates you to do what you do for the Lord? Paul tells us whether, therefore, we eat or drink, whatsoever we do, do all to the glory of God. You realize we're here to make Jesus look really good. (laughs) We're to make him look great. We're to shine a spotlight on the Jesus Christ. He is to look really good. Your life is to bring glory to him. He had a problem in his motives. He had a problem with his love. He had a problem with his love. He didn't love the father. He didn't love the son. All he could do is whine, pout, and complain. And we find here in verse number 30, the real truth comes out. Because best, But as soon as this thy son, he's still accusing, by the way, which hath devoured thy living with harlots. He said, you know what? While we're on this, Dad, this is, this is your son. It's not my brother. He didn't even call him his brother. This is your son. While we're, while we're here, I want, you to, I want to remind you, sir, that he has wasted everything that you had, thy living, with harlots. So you take that in that party. Here I am. I'm working. I've worked here all these years, many years. 
I've never got a fatty calf from you. I can make merry with my friends. But here, your son did this. Can I just remind you that nowhere, nowhere, nowhere in this story, nowhere, can't find it, anywhere, I'll say it again, nowhere in this story does it say that that boy had his living with harlots. That's an accusation. Baseless accusation. Not surprising. Here's a coldness, elder brother, disrespecting his father and would not even recognize that younger brother was his. He's not part of my family. Has even talked to the boy. Has even asked him, hey, what'd you do out there? Just a baseless, heartless accusation. He's in a mess, isn't he? Now, here's the interesting thing. The same love that the father has for the son that went out in the far country and wasted everything, the same love is for that son that never left. How do I know that? Well, let's start with he left the party. So the servant comes in. Yeah, you've got to deal with something. What? Oh, the older son. What? Where is he? He's out there. He is furious. Why? He says, because the younger son's home and you've killed a fatted calf. I try to tell him. How many parents understand you've got to deal with this? <laughs> How many, any pastor knows this? You've got to deal with this. You've got to try and bring them together. And, and, and you, you, listen, you may or may not be able to get through them, but let's try. There he is, porch lights on. There you are. Finally. Are you having fun in there, Dad? I can see him just walking back and forth. I can see the story here in my mind. And here's what it says. It's interesting here, verse number 28. Now, here's, what, here's the next point. I'm, I'm going home. I know we're over time here. But here's the point. The father handles him the right way. Okay? How the, listen, parents, it's a good way for us to learn parenting a little bit. Pastoring. How do you handle a situation like this? They don't teach you this in Bible college, by the way. This doesn't come up, how to handle these situations. This is a, this is a tough one, all right? Because you understand where his point is. Well, look at verse number 28. Last part, therefore came his father out, and here's the word here, and entreated him. That word entreated means he asked some questions. How do, I'm going to understand this, that the Holy Spirit is so gracious to us on how he gets our attention by asking us questions. Why did you say that? You ever say something about someone else and the Holy Spirit speaks loud to your heart? Saying, Why'd you say that? You ever have that happen? You ever do something that as soon as you do it, you shouldn't have done it, you know you shouldn't have done it. The Holy Spirit says, Why did you do that? Okay? Now, the voice of Satan is different. How could you do that? Okay? It's very interesting. There's a difference between conviction and, and, and accusations. Remember, Satan is accuser of the brethren. He loves to accuse. How could you do that? You're never going to be what you should be. Okay, that's Satan. Jesus is different. He comes along 
and he entreats he entreats us and talks to us and that still small voice speaks to our hearts and says i have a better plan for you i can offer you something that perhaps you're not thinking about father goes out how do i know that god does this all the time well how about cain and abel how about after Cain killed Abel, that God, well, actually before Cain killed Abel, after the sacrifice was rejected, God comes to Cain and says, I'll accept your offering, just go get the right one. I'm paraphrasing. That's entreating, trying to work, comforter. So the father went out to the boy with the right spirit, but here's the danger, and I'm going to finish. I keep finishing for a half hour, I'll finish. The the son, unfortunately, rejected the father. There's there's no evidence that the son, the older son, ever got right. No evidence that the son ever came in. No evidence that the son ever listened to what the father had to say. But the son hears that the father thinks he's valuable. How do you know that? Sometimes, you know, it's good to know that you're loved. It's good to know that the Lord thinks highly of you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're a creation of God. He loves you. And he made a truthful statement about the boy's value. Thou art ever with me. All that I have is thine. Really? Yeah. I love you. I value our relationship together more than you value your relationship with me. And God often does that, doesn't he? He entreats us. He reminds us that you're valuable. And then he makes a statement that takes this whole conversation to truth. Now listen, if you're in a mess today, the best place you can go is right in the arms of truth. Amen? Our country's a mess today. The country's doing things that are not natural, not convenient, and downright wrong. And the country, the answer is run to truth. The answer for our church is run to truth. The answer for your life is run to truth. Why? Because truth will never change. Truth will surround. Truth will protect. Watch what it says. Again, verse 32. It was what? Meat. Not the meat that you eat. Obviously, not spelled that way. Meat, necessary, truthful, right. This is the right thing to do. Watch this. It was meat that we should make merry and be glad. For this, thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. What we're doing in there, son, is the right thing to do. The best thing you can do, son, is to come on in there because that is right. What you're, where you're at is wrong. How many have ever had, listen, the Holy Spirit say, where you're going is wrong, what you're doing is wrong, but where you can get right is right here. Go here. That's good, isn't it? I remember being, again, a prodigal son, not proud of my life, but I knew where truth was. We used to make fun of one of the boys who would come into the barracks when I was in the military. Oh, man, he would go to church every Sunday, and I knew I should be in church. 
That's one of those things. He would get his Bible and he'd walk out of those barracks if, with all kinds of mockery. We mocked him. We picked on him. And you know, I'm doing the same thing that everyone else is doing. And in my heart, I'm saying, that should be going. What am I saying this for? You know what the Holy Spirit was saying? What about you? Oh, man. And I want to say this to that brother. He had never treated me in any way, a wrong way, hateful. He always carried a good testimony. He was from Michigan. Name was Bruce. Bruce Garchow. One morning we got to the barracks, uh, got to the formation. Bruce was out, man. He was gone. He got a car accident, drunk driving. Whole side of his face was taken off. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll get him back out of the hospital. We'll go back and do the same thing again. As that lifestyle is, it just continues to get more and more messy. Months later, he finally gets back to formation, face all scarred up. Hey, Bruce, let's go drink. No, got a new life now. Going to church. I'm born again. Didn't change my heart at all. But the Holy Spirit speaking to me, you're a mess. And treating me. Treating. Why are you on the front porch? I don't want to be in there with the, with the, with the sun. I don't want to be in there with that crowd. That's right. You're in a position that's wrong. Wow. I'm going to say, ladies and gentlemen, that the elder son is a picture of a church that does not know the heart of God. They're lost. Or it's a picture of someone that is not, that's saved and is only living for God because of what they're getting out of it. You think about this. The whole story is incredible. Shepherd's happy because the one sheep was found. Calls all of his friends. The girl that lost the ten, or the one coin. Boy, she finds the one coin. She calls all of her friends. Hey, come over and rejoice with me. That's kind of an awkward thing. What are we doing? We're going to rejoice. I found a coin. Okay, I'll be there. So they all have a party there. Okay, so now we have the son coming home. And everyone's happy. Everyone's excited except for the fatty calf. They're all happy. <laughs> except for... The older son. The whole story is about God rejoicing over things that were lost being found. And you got the scribes and the Pharisees that are sitting there murmuring. Does he eat with these sinners and publicans? What are these? I'm talking about you. You don't know God. You don't know who he is. Because he's always looking for someone that's lost. And I'm looking for you. I'm I'm looking for you, Pharisee. And I'm looking for you, scribe, because you're the elder brother. I love you. 